Good morning. It's a new year. Uh, and so with it being a new year, we often think about things like New Year's resolutions. <laughs> uh, I want to take uh, a Sunday this week uh, to explore the topic of what does it mean to be new? What does scripture say about new? Um, so let's think, though, for a minute about those New Year's resolutions. You know, what are you thinking? What is your resolution? Do you have a goal? Have you come up with one? Um, I've got a few uh, thoughts, a few musings over New Year's resolutions that I thought I'd share. Uh, I'll just put them up here for you. So, uh, you know, here's a good thought. Um, you know, if you're, if you're perfect, then I guess you don't need them, right? <laughs> uh, let's, let's see what we got here next. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you're awesome, again, don't need New Year's resolutions. Um, you know, this would be mine, I think. This is the ones I think I could actually pull off. <laughs> um, and then, let's see, yeah. Sorry, dude. Try again next year. Um, you know, those are funny, but I think they do get at what we think about with those things. You know, I don't know if you're like me. Mine, if I make a New Year's resolution, it'll last a couple of days. You know, today's the second, so I've already, already botched them. Uh, now, you know, they, they don't tend to last long, and we think about, you know, ways to be a better version of us. What does Scripture say about that? What does Scripture say about being new, about being changed? Well, I want to take us to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21. It's uh, printed for you in the bulletin. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, this is God's inerrant and infallible word. <clears throat> From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, go to him now and ask him to guide us through this time in his word together. Father, we do ask that you would guide us, that you would uh, allow your word to go forth uh, into our hearts, that it would go all the way in, that we would allow uh, your word to have its way in us. And would you speak through me, a, a broken vessel, uh, for your glory, for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so in just a, a bit, as a part of the end of the sermon, we're actually going to see a video of one of our missions partners who's in Russia. He runs the Moscow Seminary. Um, he's Russian himself. And we're going to hear his testimony and his story as an aspect of this message on this passage. But uh, before we get to that, that'll be later, um, I thought since that was happening, I thought I'd brush up on my Russian history. Uh, and I'm aware there's a, at least a couple of history teachers that are in our congregation, so if I get something wrong, I'm sure they'll help me, uh, they'll correct me. <laughs> but, uh, so think about this. Russia, it, we've talked about 
personal resolutions and how, you know, those often go over for changing. <laughs> uh, how about society resolutions or revolutions, if you will? Russia had one well over 100 years ago, in fact. Uh, and the desire, the, the desire behind the revolution was to change some bad circumstances. There was a, a, a czar that was led by czars, sort of like the king, the monarch of that day. But there was one in power who wasn't so great, didn't seem to care about the people. Uh, the economic conditions were just horrendous. Russia had suffered more casualties from World War I than any other country. Um, there was you know, food shortages, and then there was Bloody Sunday, where the Tsar and his soldiers fired on citizens in the streets who were seeking to have a voice. So hence the revolution, and it was the, this group called the Bolsheviks, and maybe you've heard about them they actually issued in uh, communism. So out of a desire to correct a bad situation, bad circumstances, it actually issued in something else bad. If you know anything about the history of Russia and communism, it didn't really go over so well. Pretty soon, uh, leader Joseph Stalin got in power, and so it went from a bad dictator to another bad dictator. Didn't seem to change the human heart. So personal resolutions, uh, society revolutions, neither get at the heart, right? Neither get at the heart. Now, New Year's resolutions aren't a bad thing, by the way. They're great. They're helpful. They're goals. It's, they're good things. But it leaves us with the maddening question, how do we really change? We can often functionally view Christ uh, like a New Year's resolution, you know, like sort of he came along to, to help us become a better version of us, to sort of help us along in our journey of becoming a better person, right? So we sort of see him like a New Year's resolution, or perhaps we see him like a revolutionary, like he's come to, to conquer my problems, to conquer my circumstances, uh, and he was seen sort of that way in his own day. People thought he came to conquer Rome. In fact, he came to do something far more grand than that. But we do all ourselves, we all imagine a, or seek a better version of ourselves. And we come up with plans or strategies for that. But most of those stop short of real change. We settle for behavior modification, a better plan for my life, or maybe I come up with a better plan for everybody else's life. <laughs> and we have these plans, but we miss the fact that the real human problem the problem of the human heart. See, the problem's in here. But that's scary, right? It's scary to say, hey, my biggest problem is inside me at my core. Because guess what? That's, that means I've got to change. It means something's needed in me. Something's lacking in me. It means uh, this may cost me. <laughs> it means I may have to give things up. It's scary to, to go there. It's scary to think about change in general. You know, I, I talk to lots of folks in the community who, who don't know Christ, but maybe know a, about him. And I've, I've, almost everybody, or almost no one, dislikes Jesus, right? He, he's a really great guy. And he's easy to like uh, if he comes to help us along our way, to help us in our plans, uh, or to, to change our problems or deal with our bad circumstances, it's a different ball game if he's come to change us. 
You see, Jesus has a way of flying below the radar of all of our plans, all our strategies, all our schemes. And he goes right for the heart. Not to crush it, but to give us his. To give us himself. To give us union with him. Relationship with him. Something far more grand and more beautiful than we could ever come up with on our own. That is what he does. And we call it union with Christ. But it's us joined with him in a relationship. It's not knowing about him, it's knowing him. Union with Christ gives us at least three things that this passage points out. We'll walk through those together. One is he gives us new eyes to see all things. Another one is that it sweeps us into a new reality. And then finally, we begin to participate in his ministry of reconciliation. So we're going to work through those together. But let's begin with this idea of being given new eyes to see. Uh, Verse 16 it sort of sounds strange uh, at first as you read it. It says there, from, uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, as you read that, you sort of think, like, what does it mean regarding Christ according to the flesh? Was that just sort of like, well, I, I knew him as a, as a guy, as a human in the flesh, but now I know him in a different way. Well, Really what Paul's getting at is regarding someone according to the flesh is having a a worldly view of them. A view of them in our old nature that simply saw Christ perhaps as a good teacher or a good dude. Or seeing other people uh, according to the flesh really gets at this idea of uh, focusing on outward appearance. Uh, And if you notice the passage begins with from now on therefore... So we have to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And it's pointing to what came before. In verse 12, actually, Paul says, uh, he says there, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So that came before. So In some regard, that means this sort of uh, regarding another person according to the flesh uh, is this idea of focusing merely on outward appearance. Whether it be our own outward appearance, you know, sort of like, well, this is what I'd like for people to see about me. I'm going to put this persona off, even though really I know I'm I'm not that on the inside. Um, And so it really sets up this mindset of, well, I know I'm not perfect, (laughs) But at least I'm better than him, right? It's this kind of comparison game that we can often play, right? It's like, hey, I don't, I don't have to be the uh, perfect, but I, I just need to make sure I'm not the worst guy in the room. <laughs> but that produces where we, it's where we get a lot of our judgmentalism through comparison, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I didn't do that. I'm not that bad. And we get, that's where judgmentalism comes from. We sort of erect these standards for, for ourselves and for other people. And, you know, we, we like to erect it to where it's just low enough to where we can attain it, to where we're in. But maybe others are not. And so we have this way of saying, well, at least I feel like I've got some control over my acceptance with God. I have some control over my own salvation. In reality, we don't. But let's, let's talk about this in terms of a, a worldly or a fleshly view of Christ himself. You know, 
Jesus uh, looked at his disciples at one point and he said, who do people say that I am? And they listed off some things like, well, they say you're a, a prophet. Uh, they say you're like Elijah. You know, you could imagine some other things that we could come up with. You know, a good teacher, a wise man, a revolutionary, perhaps. That was certainly, again, the, the view of Christ in his day. Then he asked the, the guys, he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And now those were Peter. You know, Peter always seemed to speak up. He said, well, you're the Christ. We don't know if he fully understood what that even meant, but he had it. And, he, and Jesus said, well, the Spirit of God gave that to you. Jesus asks us that same question. It's recorded in, in his word for us, and he asks us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Do we see Jesus as a good teacher? If he's a good teacher, then he's relegated to a group of a bunch of good teachers where we can sort of take and pick and choose what we like. They will, well, this part of his teaching will help me on my journey to becoming a better me, so I'll take that part, but, but I'll leave this over here. Um, you know, is he merely a good teacher? Is he merely revolutionary? Is he merely one who, come, who has come to fix my problems? Like, say, Jesus, these are my issues. These are my problems I've got in my life. Will you, will you fix these? Um, but Jesus came to do something far more grand, to transform us, to transform us. No, no other religion in this world has a message like this <laughs> that says you can actually do nothing for your own salvation, nothing for your own acceptance before God. All, think about it. All other religions say, here's the teaching, here's what to do, do this, and you'll be accepted by the God of the religion. They all work that way in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But Christianity says, no, you cannot do anything for yourself. <laughs> but the God that we know, the one true God, is the one who said, I will do it for you. I will accomplish it for you. And I'll take the hit for you. What other God will sacrifice his own son for his people? That is the message of Christianity. And, and so having these new eyes to see... It's to be able to see Christ in that way, for who he really is, to see him as God himself who became the sacrifice for his people and the God who wants true relationship with his people. Again, what we call union with Christ. So having new eyes. Uh, a friend of mine uh, once told me a story about his mother, uh, his late mother, who loved animals. She had the patience for them. She had the time for them, just loved them. And there was a, once a stray cat that came along to her house. And, mo I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, get out of here. Get out of here. I'm not, I'm not fooling with you. But she'd, she decided she was going to take this stray cat in. Okay, this is a cat that never had a home. Wasn't going to let her anywhere near the cat. The cat did not let her touch it or anything. But she said, I'm going I'm to win this cat over. And so she put food outside the basement door to let the cat come and eat. And so the next day, she put the food just inside the basement door. The cat would come in and eat and leave, not, you know, not let her touch it. Each day for a few weeks, she moved that food a little further into the house until it was all the way up the steps, all the way into the main room. And she'd watch that cat come in and eat and then go. Until one day, she was there washing up in the kitchen, and she felt the cat brush up against her leg, and she knew that the cat had accepted her. <laughs> really, the cat was wooed by her love. 
The cat didn't realize that it could have all along come in and like climbed up on the couch with her and had a, a, a home, a family, <laughs> if you will. Christ woos us with his love. He draws us in. He gives us eyes to see that he loves us, that we can trust him, that we can climb on the couch with him and be a part of the family. We don't have to be astray. He woos us not so we can be a pet, though. He woos us so that we can be his bride, so that we can be in union with him. When he gives us a new heart, he gives us new eyes to see him for who he really is, to see him as one who is trustworthy, who loves us completely, who gives everything for us. And he gives us the ability to see others the way he sees them. I, uh, and if I ever do premarital counseling, I'll always tell the couple that if you both belong to Christ, you have a greater horizon than just this life. Because you can see the other person, you can see the spouse, and you can look through the now to the future glorified version of that person who's in Christ in glory. And you can see through all the mess. And that keeps you in the game. It keeps, you, it's, it keeps you through all the hard stuff. You stay in it because you stay in the long game. Because you can see them the way God is going to complete them one day. I think that applies here with having these new eyes to see. To, to, to not regard others according to the flesh anymore. To, but, but to be able to see them the way Christ sees them. And to love them the way Christ loves them. But it's being given those new eyes. But being joined to Christ is, in relationship doesn't only give us new eyes to see. It actually does something even more profound. It sweeps us into a whole new reality. Now, where do I get that? Well, verse 17 says, therefore, this is really like the centerpiece of this passage. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you look at the Greek there, it simply says, Quite literally, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. There's not, a, there's not a verb in there between those. It's sort of like Paul saying, if you're in Christ, that equals new creation. Look, there's a new creation right here. Look around, new creation. Uh, one of the, uh, an author that I've read recently describes it this way, Dane Ortland says, if we have been united to Christ, it's like we've been swept into Eden 2.0. <laughs> A new reality that began when Jesus walked out of the grave. Uh, we got any Back to the Future fans? The movies? Yep. All right, come on. We, we all like Back to the Future. <clears throat> so, you know, Marty McFly in the first movie, he's, um, he's the terrorists have showed up that, that the doc stole the plutonium from, right? And so he's got to run. So he hops in the, this DeLorean that uh, is, happens to be a time machine. Uh, and he hits that magical number of 88 miles per hour, and whoosh, he's off to 1955, right? And so he crashes, and he gets out, and he, you know, gets oriented, and he's like, wait, this is my town. This is where I've been. This is the same place, but everything's kind of different. And, you know, people make fun of he's wearing this big puffy vest. They're like, hey, you, you worried about a drowning or something? Why are you wearing that thing? You know, everything's a little different. It feels off, but it's the same place, but things are different. When we are united to Christ, it's not that everything else changes. We are the thing that changes. We are different. 
we are changed. Now, you're sitting there thinking probably right now, Michael, this sounds great and all. New creation. Sounds wonderful, but if you're like me, there's a lot of days where you probably don't feel new. Right? If we're honest, there's days, perhaps every day, where there's day, times where we just don't feel new. I don't feel like this new creation you're talking about, Michael. Well, what can we do about that? One thing to keep in mind, just because we're new creations in Christ doesn't mean everything's new. That's still to come. Christ said, behold, I am making all things new. But he's not done with that because we still operate in a world that is broken, that's still full of sin, that's still full of hard relationships, (laughs) sickness. We're struggling with our own, putting to death our own sin still. There's times you wake up in the morning thinking, like, who am I? What is this? Am I new? Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, I want to encourage you by this. Believe what God's word says about you. Let that be the loudest voice in your mind or in your heart, not what you feel in the day or the moment, because we're going to feel all kinds of things in this world. Believe what this passage says about you, that you are, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, whether you're feeling it or not. The other thing to consider, and this is by way of Paul's exhortation later in the passage, he he exhorts those he's writing to, be reconciled to God. Consider this, are you united to Christ? Or do you just know a lot about him? He's the only one that can give you what you need most. He's, you can't produce it for yourself. He's got to give it to you, and that's the new heart. But here's the beauty of the gospel. It is simple. It's not for those who get their act all together first. It's not for those who get it all figured out first. Scripture says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's simple. So I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, if you... Uh, perhaps have known about him but don't have relationship with him, I want to encourage you to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. He will give it. Now, this brings me to my final point. So, in union with Christ, we're given new eyes to see. We are swept into a new reality. We're a new creation. But when new creation is injected into this world, That is really what's going on. It's like Christ injected new creation into this world in us. When that happens, we become participants in his work of reconciliation in this world. We participate in bringing about new creation in others. He lets us be a part of that. Now, I could talk to you guys about that, but as I said earlier, I want you to hear from one of our missions partners, Sasha Sutsaroff. I want you to hear his story of how he became new and how he's participating in the Ministry of Reconciliation. So let's hear now from Sasha. My name is um, Alexander Sutsarov. I live in Moscow, Russia. And I used to work for the KGB. Now, for you to know what the KGB did to my people, I'll give you a couple of facts. It was the KGB which executed 200,000 ministers in Russia 
over the span of what we call 70 years of communist captivity. They started killing Christian ministers in 1917 with the Bolshevik revolution and ended in 1987 with Gorbachev's perestroika. It was the KGB which demolished 440,000 uh, churches in Russia throughout the 11 time zones of the former Soviet Union. Why did I work for that crowd? Well, they paid me uh, five times better than average. And for that much money, I would do anything. Now, in the year of 1990, it all changed. One day, my daughter, uh, she's nine years old at the moment, comes back home from school and says that she had made a new friend. And uh, my daughter claims that the father of the new friend is a Christian missionary from the United States of America. And I looked straight into her eyes and I said, you better be kidding, girl. Because think of it my way. She said that he was a Christian. And I was, of course, a member of the uh, Communist Party. I was an atheist, uh, therefore. I claimed there was no God. And uh, she said that uh, he was a Christian missionary. And I was, of course, a KGB agent. So in my eyes, all the missionaries were spies and I had to take care of those. And uh, she said that uh, he was a Christian missionary from the United States of America. And I was, of course, a proud product of the Soviet Union. So I thought we needed no help from the United States of America. Thank you very much. And so I got so disappointed with my own daughter that I, I didn't believe her. Instead, I went to her school and I talked with her teacher. Only the teacher confirmed that uh, there was in fact a couple from the United States of America. And uh, the teacher also said that uh, the couple was looking for a Russian tutor, which almost devastated me because as we say back in Russia, up in heavens, everybody is gonna speak the Russian language because it takes eternity to learn it. And, and I got scared because that very moment I realized these people were not tourists as I had hoped there were, but came to stay. Well, I was a KGB agent, so I decided I would investigate the situation to then report them to my authorities. And I did by recalling the the uh, fact that uh, Natasha, my wife, just happened to be a professional Russian as a second language instructor. She taught all the military officers who were coming to Russia from third world countries like Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Cuba to get trained in military operations at the military uh, academia in uh, Moscow. Only to do so, they would have to go through a very rigorous course on the Russian language by immersion so that then they could take classes at the military academia in Russia, a year long course too. So she did that for a living. And I of course utilized that to my advantage. I made my wife teach the missionary 
and that gave me a chance to spy over the family. Now, I made it look innocent. I would just go to their place, and I would just sit there pretending I was there to wait until my wife would get through with her lesson. Whereas, of course, I was there to wait until my wife uh, um, get through with her lesson, but I was there to listen to what they were talking about. And frankly, all they talked about was God. They played it smart. They wanted my wife to use the Bible as their textbook. And uh, all they wanted to learn was how to say the Lord in Russian. And uh, how to say, here comes Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world in Russian. And how to say, and whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have everlasting life in Russian. And so, in about a half a year of just listening to that stuff, I got converted. Well, at least in my head, I gave God a chance to even exist, which for me, a KGB agent, was a huge step away from my atheistic realm. But uh, these missionaries, they were not just talkative about God, but also very pushy about God. Uh, in about a half a year after my first conversion, by head, they pushed me into that praying business and uh, reading the Bible business. They gave me a copy of the New Testament in the Russian language, and they made me read the Bible. Now, I had no idea how to read the Bible, and I did not want to blow my cover, so I yielded to their demands, and I started reading the New Testament from scratch. So I read um, the Gospel of Matthew, then the Gospel of Mark, and then I started reading the Gospel of Luke. Only I ran into a portion of the Gospel of Luke that depicted Jesus talking with his disciples. And among other things, Jesus tells them this. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more so will the Holy Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And I was just dumbfounded right there because that very moment I realized that Jesus knew me better than I thought he did. Because the first part of what Jesus was saying applied to me perfectly well. I mean, I knew I was an evil man. I was a KGB agent. But I also knew how to give good gifts to my children. And that made me think. I was thinking, man, if the first part of what Jesus is saying applies to me this well, then what if the rest of what Jesus is saying applies to me as well? And I followed the guidelines of the scripture I just read, and I simply asked the Father of the Spirit, and bang, I looked up, and I saw the Lord. And I mean, I saw the Lord just as clearly as I'm seeing you now. Only the Lord was standing, and the Lord was putting down the Holy Spirit right inside of me. And I was filled up with the Holy Spirit of God all the way to the top. The Spirit felt like gold, only liquid. And that was my conversion by heart, because in my heart, 
I knew that Jesus was God. I saw him. Now, I go back home. My wife meets me at the door, and she says, what's wrong with you? I said, what's wrong with me, honey? She said, you're smiling. You see, I had never smiled before. She married me because her father, a KGB colonel himself, never smiled either. So my wife honestly thought that it wasn't proper for a man to ever smile. Now Jesus apparently made me smile that day without me realizing that, and my smile gave me away. And since I was a baby in Christ, I didn't find anything more suitable than to tell my wife that I became a Christian now. She in turn confessed to me that she had become a Christian even earlier than I did, only she was scared to death to talk about it with her husband, a KGB agent. And so, there we were, two complete babies in Christ. Frankly, we had no idea what to do with it, none whatsoever. So we decided we would read a little bit more of the Bible, because after all, we thought it was the Bible which got us all started on that track, which we did, only to find out that uh, those who accepted Jesus in the Bible would then plant the church. So be it, we said, and we planted the church in Moscow, Russia, and I was still a KGB agent undercover. Well, then I had my first conversion. You see, I had three. One by head, one by heart, one by guts. Because one day, I learned by my guts what the call of the Lord on my life was. And the call was to replenish the lost. To replenish the lost. Which, to me, a KGB agent translated into the need of uh, replenishing the 200,000 ministers that the KGB executed and planting 40,000 churches that the KGB dynamited. And so I quit the KGB because there was no way I could keep both my faith and my job. And we planted the Moscow Evangelical Christian Seminary to replenish the lost by the way of multiplication because I can't go to all the regions of Russia. Russia is 11 time zones. But um, through training ministers at the Moscow Seminary uh, together, we can do it by the way of multiplication. So that's Sasha's story. First of all, we get to be partnered with him because of your generosity towards giving, towards missions. Uh, we're partnered with the work that he's doing. This church is uh, in the work of, at Moscow Seminary. So be encouraged by that, that we get to be a part of the work that he's doing. Uh, now you heard him talk about three different conversions. Really what he's describing is all one conversion. It just sort of happened in a, in a series of, of events, if you will. But what you heard there was a man who became a new creation. And then he began to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what made him new, or even I would say what the evidence of him being a new creation, it wasn't necessarily that he helped start a seminary. So it doesn't mean necessarily that we've got to go to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. We've got to go start a seminary. Now, you might be called to that. <laughs> if you are, be open to it. But notice what he said 
of what gave him away. It was a smile. He didn't even know it was there. He didn't even know what had changed him, but it was Jesus that gave him joy. And he had had joy in his life for the first time. He was changed. Um, just to, to conclude, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about watchful dragons that we have uh, within us. Uh, he describes them that way. But really what he's pointing out is the, the resistance that we have uh, in, our, in our old nature, resistance to being changed, resistance to Christ, uh, resistance to keep things on the surface, if you will. Um, and so we have these watchful dragons that are always sort of watching out for, uh, for those types of things. Christ can get past those watchful dragons. <laughs> Sasha had watchful dragons, and Christ got past them. Uh, he's the only one that can do that. He can go to the heart, and he does that for us. So, believer, those of us who are in Christ, I want you to be encouraged this morning. Uh, you are and can participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, be encouraged by the word, uh, what God's word says about you, not what you feel in the moment. I know we feel sometimes like, I don't feel new. I don't feel like I could participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Who am I? Go back to the word and hear him, what he says about you if you're in Christ. Now, if you're here and you're not sure, if you're, you know I'm not in Christ, I'm not a new creation, and I've perhaps I've been spending my whole life focusing on outward appearances, but I know something needs to change in me. I simply invite you to call on the name of the Lord. All those who do will be saved. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it has, that it does through the work of your spirit. It changes us. Thank you for uh, Sasha and his ministry. <clears throat> Thank you for what you're doing here in us. And so, Father, I pray for all of us who are in Christ that you would encourage us by your word, that you would encourage us and embolden us to, to get in the game into the ministry of reconciliation, whatever that way may be, uh, to continue to grow into that reality, to continue to grow into new creation. Um, and, Father, I pray for any here who may not know your son Jesus. Lord, would you do that work of new creation in them, even this morning, by the power of your word. We ask these things in, in Christ's name.